Hello, and welcome to Glory Be. Interesting people and how they pray. Each week, we chat with interesting people about their lives, their work, and how they pray. I'm Sharon Hanish. And I'm Mike Malcolm. Our guest today is Jill Simons, founder and creative director at Pink Salt Riot. Jill is also the host of the podcast, The Authentic Uprising Show, and is a Catholic speaker and retreat leader. She grew up in Iowa and attended Benedictine College, where she received a degree in English literature. Jill has been married to her husband, John, for 10 years and has four children. Welcome, Jill. Welcome, so Jill. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you both. Well, an Iowa girl, how did you find Benedictine? All the way in well, Kansas. So- I think I was way more self-aware maybe than your average 18 year old. And I really came out of my upbringing in the Catholic church with what I've actually heard Bishop Slattery, our uh, Bishop Emeritus talk about before, which is really the hope for young people is to kind of give the faith, the benefit of the doubt. And that's really where I was at. I had a lot of questions still, but I was willing to give the faith, the benefit of the doubt. And so I very self-awarely went into college. Like I'm going to put myself somewhere where really the best minds in Catholicism can answer my questions. And if that's satisfying, I'll remain Catholic. And if it's not, I will leave and go find something that does make sense. And so um, it was a really beautiful experience for that reason. I was able to, you know, get all those questions answered um, in the theology department there. Um, To my satisfaction, I'm still here. (laughs) So it was a great experience. So your degrees in English literature, you didn't do, did you do a minor in theology or did, did you? No, I just, I very like carefully chose the theology classes, which were like the issues that I had with things, but I did not want to at the time go into anything church or ministry related professionally. Um, I was always going to be English faculty at a college was like the plan. And, um, I was going to get my PhD and, um, write books and teach English And then as a student, realized that I love to write and I love students and I hate to teach students about writing because I don't like bad writing. (laughs) So I realized that putting up with bad writing is like the majority of being a professor because you're taking them from being poor writers into being better writers. I realized that that was much less appealing than what I had imagined. So how did you end up in ministry. So I consider that you're kind of in ministry. You're a retreat leader. You speak at Catholic conferences. In fact, you were just here leading a retreat for our staff, which we really enjoyed. Um, and you're going to also be January 7th, is it 7th that you'll be here uh, giving a retreat to the women of the parish. But how did that come about? Uh, how does an English major end up where you are? So as all stories that the Lord writes, it's long and very juicy in the details, but um, entrepreneurship really was where things grew out of. And so I started kind of inadvertently into entrepreneurship as a very young person. I was 14. I loved to make things. So I made beaded jewelry and sold it at the farmer's market in my small town in Iowa. And lo and behold, I didn't have to waitress if I kept doing this. And so that was very appealing to me as a 15, 16, 17 year old little girl. And um, so then I was able to really 
keep from having to ever get a grown up job all through high school and then also through college. And because of that, I was able to go abroad and intern in the US Senate and live in Ireland and go to writing school abroad and all these different things that would have just been off the table if I would have had to be in a work schedule. And so I kind of got addicted to that lifestyle more than anything, like setting my own schedule and really um, controlling how my work was distributed. And so when I graduated from college, because I was engaged to my husband, didn't discern that it was time to pursue my PhD at that time and got a corporate job, like immediately had the hardcore entrepreneur response to a corporate job and was just like, this cannot be life and left almost immediately to no, I don't think it was ever that plan at that time to do long, long-term entrepreneurship, but it's what I kept coming back to because I was just finding that all of my work opportunities were ultimately unsatisfying. And so I started a secular company, built that up, um, really enjoyed it, but it also ended up in a niche that really wasn't supportive of our family's values. They were very... Um, it was like secular and sustainability and things like that, which I am passionate about, but they really, a lot of people in the community really struggled with it when we started having children, because these were kind of your hardcore, like children destroy the planet kind of people. And my husband and I were like, we should probably move out of that (laughs) into something that's going to be more affirming of our values. And so um, started a second company, which is a company that I run and serve as creative director for now, which is Pink Salt Riot. And then ever since then, since moving into the faith-based space, the Lord has just slowly like led me down the garden trail of um, really what it is that he has for me, because I've been passionate about a lot of these topics for a long time. Um, But in in really seeing how it was all going to come together. It's been a long process and it's really just been in the last three years that the Lord has very clearly kind of given me that call to ministry, I'm going to say, of specifically speaking and leading retreats that I'm stepping into now more than I ever have in the past. So it's a good story because he wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) So Pink Salt Riot, just for people who've never heard of it or some of our listeners, talk about what, what, what you do. Absolutely. So our, um, we're a Christian women lifestyle company. We serve, um, all Christian women, both evangelical and Catholic. And the goal really is how do we take what we um, really feel convicted about in these mountaintop moments, in the pews on Sundays, how do we take those into our everyday life really with those everyday acts of remembrance? Because, um, so often when I do speak to people or lead retreats or things, people are like, I know all of this. I just don't remember it. And I think that that's such a common experience in really the speed of modern life where it's very hard to keep the thread of those convictions throughout your daily life. And so that's really what we seek to do at Pink Salt Riot on the physical product side is create these really tangible reminders so that it's not something that you're relying on your memory. It's something that is bodied in your everyday life so that you're able to have these touchstones. So for instance, the necklace that I'm wearing right now, um, says, be real with Jesus. That's one thing that I just am constantly trying to remind myself of to just be in the moment with Christ and to share how I'm feeling, even when that's negative, even when that doesn't feel holy, even when it's something that doesn't seem completely kosher to express to God. And that's something that helps me to live my faith more authentically. And it's in part due to that kind of bodied reminder that I have. 
Well, we can put, let's put links Absolutely. to that. Because as I was looking at your podcast, which we I'd like to talk about as well, but I just noticed some items, like one was for your phone. Was it, is it a, and I can't remember, it was like, um, was it a was it a screen? I mean, what was it? It's something when, when you picked up your phone, you saw like uh, a message, you know, uh, some kind of yes, scripture. yeah, like the lock screen. Yes, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So lots of creative ways to remind you, you know, to to be present to God and and all of that. Yeah. So I, I love that. So so you do the pink salt right, but you're also a podcaster. So um, in in the podcast, which is called the Authentic Uprising Show. You say um, that it's about all about how to be authentically yourself as you were created to be by embracing what God says about you in Scripture. So talk about that. Yeah, I think that there is um, a lot of misconceptions about how we should relate to ourselves as Christians. I think that we um, are very aware of sin in a lot of cases. And then these conversations are primarily happening within the church. So in our larger culture, I don't think there's the concept of sin and things like that, the way that we have it in the church, but within the church as a community, a lot of times we're hyper aware of sin. We're hyper, you know, scrupulous even sometimes about pride and things like that. And that can lead to just an unhealthy shift in how we relate to ourselves. And what the podcast is really looking to do, and this is mirrors what we're doing in at Pink Salt Riot as a whole, is create a conversation around really what is the true way to look at things? Well, it's the way that God looks at things. And how do we bring how we look at ourselves specifically in this conversation into alignment with how God looks at us. And we know of course that God doesn't look at us with rose colored glasses. He's aware of the things that um, need to be pruned and need to be grown in us. But at the same time, holding both things equally, he also looks with us with the same love that sent him to the cross, that he's willing to die out of love for us. And so when we spend so much mental and emotional energy in really um, degrading ourselves, as is so common inside and outside of the church, all of the mental health issues that we see and things like that, um, we are not living in alignment with reality. And so that disalignment with reality causes so much more pain and suffering than people um, realize and then that God wants for us. He looks at us and he says, you know, you are my beloved. I knit you together in your mother's womb. All of these beautiful things we have revealed in scripture that he says about us. And so really we're talking on the podcast about how do we make his thoughts our thoughts? How do we bring these things into our own minds on a regular basis? Not so that we can be prideful and um, just think that we have nothing to work on, but so we can be honest with ourselves and really self-aware about um, how we can live in the peace that Christ has for us. Yes, I made that mistake, but this does not impact my identity and my relationship to God. And that's really the foundation which you grow from. Whenever you're in a place where you're constantly just knock yourself down to the lowest peg when the slightest thing goes wrong, you just don't have any foundation to grow from. And I think that's how the enemy really keeps us trapped kind of in these cycles of self-defeat and um, self-loathing that keep us from accessing what God has for us. I love that. That's beautiful. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, um, so 
This is what I was wondering. Pink Salt Riot. Like what? Where'd you come up with that name? Is, does it yeah, tie to your mission? Like, and then also yeah. the authentic uprising. Like, can you just just tell me how that those titles came to be and how that ties into your mission? What you just described? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the mission has shifted over time, but it's really beautiful how the name has stayed applicable. And so we titled it Pink Salt Riot just for you know silly reasons. I wanted the three word thing because. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Neutral Milk Hotel. I had a friend who started a company that was based off that. It was called Passive Juice Hotel. And then I was like, I just like the three word thing. So we wanted three words that were meaningful. And so I chose pink as our first word because I wanted that liturgical color of joy that we have come out in the third week of Advent and um, during Lent, just for that one week to remind us of the joy ultimately that's going on in the midst of things. And then salt comes from the book of Matthew when Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth. And so being really geared at women, we felt like joy is the specific way in which women are salt in the world. Not that men are not, but I think that there's something about a joyful woman. But then that is something that that changes community, that changes the world when we're in community. And that's the right part is there's really something revolutionary. There's like an uprising aspect to what we're doing here. And that's also where the podcast name comes from is this idea of if we are authentically standing in what God says about us, that's something that's very inherently revolutionary. And I think that that is something that appeals to a lot of young people, especially who are feeling like the church is kind of the boring option. (laughs) And we really want to speak into the fact that um, God doesn't dictate aesthetics doesn't dictate, you know, things need to look a certain way, sound a certain way, things like that. Just because something is traditional doesn't mean that it's better. And so we want, aesthetically speaking, I should say. And so we want to kind of meet people where they are at aesthetically and language wise, but still bringing them into union with what God's doing right now. That's great. Well, that search for authenticity, it started probably before you went to college, but, you know, to, mm-hmm. to find yourself a Benedictine and all that. Do you have any, uh, was there, were there any great moments in your life with prayer that helped you inspire uh, your future life? Absolutely. It's so interesting that the kind of um, trajectory and um, evolution of prayer in my life, because I think about starting with like my pregnancy with my first son, being a Catholic woman, newly married, um, using NFP was not one of my strong suits. And so now here's Peter. And so Peter's my oldest child. And I did not feel ready in any front. You know, I was very like open to life with parentheses about around it, where it was like open to life when I think that it should be here. (laughs) And, um, and so throughout that whole pregnancy, the prayer was really like belligerent, honestly, just kind of like a bratty kid. I was just like, well, Lord, if you're going to give me this kid, you need to put diapers on him. And, I prayed that in different versions over and over again throughout the whole pregnancy. Um, Cause there was really a financial fear during that pregnancy of really, how was this going to work financially? And um, when I was eight months pregnant, my husband was teaching at a middle school and all of the middle school homeroom moms came together and surprised us and said, we really wanted to do something for you. So we decided to have a diaper shower and I'm not 
exaggerating in the least when I say that our second child was nine months old before we bought diapers for the first time. Um, because the Lord knew it was his job to diaper that baby. And so he did that plus, (laughs) and, um, those experiences, experiences like that has what has really led me into this sense of safety and trusting the Lord, not immediately, but in retrospect, being able to really string together these beads of the Lord's faithfulness throughout my own life. That's led me from relating to him that way to relating to him more and more closely as the seasons of my life continue. And I love to think of the example of like foster children, um, where, new placement, you know, even if the parents are the most loving in the world, there's still this distance that's very hard to overcome because there's a lack of trust there. Um, but, and that's when the parents really are just so generous with their love and affection to really teach that safety. And that's how the Lord has been with me. And now that I walk more closely than I did at that time in my life with the Lord, there's a lot more discipline. There's a lot more like, you're going to need to wait. You're going to need to continue to persevere in this kind of those pruning aspects of my prayer life um, that I'm thankful for because it's now from a place of intimacy where I'm still able to trust him throughout that. You know, I was thinking as we, as Mike, as we are transitioning to the second part of the podcast about prayer, um, you were, you are a woman of prayer. I noticed even that some of your podcasts are you interviewing people, but some of them are you leading leading prayer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you were educated at Benedictine, maybe influenced a little bit by Benedictine spirituality. I don't know, but what what draws your heart personally? So, how do you pray each day? Yeah. So depends on, it's always like a legitimate conversation with the Lord. I think in a way that I really want to challenge listeners, if you haven't ever had like a legitimate conversation with the Lord, that is not only accessible, it's possible. And I think that knowing it's possible is something that's so important for people going after it. Um, We don't go after things that we don't think are possible. And so if it's a day where I'm struggling to focus and really be with him, I will write it out. I will write back and forth the script, like this is what I'm saying to God. And then I'll be in the quiet to hear what he responds to me and write that response out and be really bodied with it so that I can keep that focus and that thread of conversation going. Um, on a day where I've been more in the moment with the Lord, I'm able to replicate that same thing just in my head and just have those conversations with him. Um, and so my formal prayer time every day, I pray the the litany of trust every morning, first thing. That's my only like I do this every day, formal, like no exceptions kind of thing. Nice. Um, and we can link that. Yeah, in absolutely. Our yeah, yes. that. yeah, it's by the sisters, one of the sisters of life. It's amazing if you've never read it. Um, and so that's where I do my formalized prayer. Then I'll also just have a conversation with the Lord, preferably in the morning. But as they said, I have four children. So timing is flexible. And um And then a lot of the times now, because again, that building the ear for the Lord's voice, he'll just invite me into prayer in moments, even when I don't want him to. Yesterday I was in the grocery store and he was inviting me to reach out to someone. And I was like, oh, don't have time for this Holy Spirit. Be quiet. Um, But I knew it was him. And so I needed to respond to that. And um, so don't do it perfectly for sure. But, um, I do try and really focus on that, like conversational intimacy, similar to the way that you focus on that in a marriage. 
And do you have any recommendations? So you do have four children. Do you pray as a family or with your spouse? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do um, like a version of an examine as a family. And so we'll go through our children are eight to zero and we will go through and the three oldest, so eight, seven, and two will do basically their highs and lows, which a lot of families do anyway. But then the person coming after them just blesses the highs and prays for help and discernment for the lows for the person before them. So then we're teaching the children to like pray um, spontaneously, pray for each other, listen to each other. Um, It's kind of a life skill that we bake into that. And then we will come together at the end, say either like an Our Father or Hail Mary, And then we will each ask like a specific saint to intercede for us. So most of the children typically choose like their namesake or the namesake of another child. And we'll just ask them for prayers. And so it takes about 10 minutes or so after dinner. And um, that's what we're doing in this season of our life. We've also done a decade of the rosary in other seasons where it needed to be just more like cut and dried. And we didn't need anybody to have the flexibility to make it last a long time and things like that. But I I think that that's really important is just kind of finding the rhythm of where your family is at, at the time. And then my husband and I praise very, very differently. I think that that's not a conversation that's like had often enough. He's like a liturgy of the hours guy. And like, let's, you know, he prays his rosary when he's driving the bus, he loves to play, pray the liturgy of the hours. And so us praying together sometimes is challenging because I'm like, let's just like, you know, like let what happens. And that is a stressful way for him to pray. And so we are constantly trying to, you know, work out what is the best way for us to pray together. And it goes back and forth between being kind of each of our preferred ways. We haven't really found like an amazing middle of the road that is our all the time yet, but we kind of switch back and forth between our preferred methods. Well, and it always changes too, you know, it does. your yeah. circumstances change when you were a searching high schooler, you know, all the way to young married couple now with mm-hmm. kids that changes everything. Yes. And yep. you know, my husband's the same way. He's very comfortable with the rosary and he, he'll take walks and I, anyway, and I am more spontaneous. A, a sister, a Benedictine sister once recommended um, that every night we hold hands and we pray for whatever the other person says they need prayed for. That worked for us for a while, but we're, we're kind of like you, you know, it, yep. we try different things and I love the rosary as well. So we often do that, but, um, yeah. okay. So we're, uh, we always ask, and I know that you have had highs and lows and your life is, uh, you're so honest about your own journey and about where God is in all those moments. So we always ask our guests if if there's been a time in your life when you found it difficult to pray. Yeah, absolutely. And it's much more recent than really I would love to be the case. Over the summer, I had my youngest child. Um, He's four months old now. And when I had him, I had a severe postpartum hemorrhage and I almost died um, lost over two thirds of the blood in my body and was basically being kept alive by saline that I was receiving during my C-section. Um, and on top of it all, my anesthesiologist had forgot to add any narcotics to my anesthesia. And so it would have been just fine if the surgery had been the length it was supposed to be, but it was much, much longer. So I came to, um, I had, lost awareness. I hadn't lost consciousness, but I'd lost awareness during the surgery came to with all of the pain 
and all of the confusion of um, having less than half of the blood I was supposed to have and also having no anesthesia. And I'm sure people in the hospital thought I was cursing, but I really was just crying out to Jesus like very loudly. Um, And in that moment, I just remember so clearly um, him being there with me, but I felt like he wasn't doing anything. And I was not, and that was one of those situations where like we have in human relationships where it felt like there was something that I wanted or needed from the relationship at that time. And it didn't happen. And that was something I wrestled with kind of all summer where it was just like that intimacy had been lost in a certain way, not because God had let something happen that shouldn't have happened, but because what I was bringing to it was an expectation that I was wanting him to move because I saw him move so often. I see him heal people so often. Um, And it was kind of that, like, where, where were you Lord when this was going on? And I had to work through it. I had to walk through that with him and really go through the stages of having all the feelings that I had about that. And I don't wish that it wouldn't have happened because then as we see in also human relationships, the intimacy on the other side is greater than the intimacy that you began with after really walking through a challenging thing together. But my way of praying, you know, I did kind of the litany of trust still through that, but that was kind of it for a lot of those days where I really didn't go after these conversations with the Lord in any miserable way. I do family prayer with the family and stuff like that. But in terms of actually growing and pouring into my relationship with God, there was about two months where it was very, very challenging to do that. And that was extremely recent. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. There, exasperation is a prayer style. I mean, it's not preferred, but sometimes that honesty, you know, to present to God, this is what I'm feeling. And uh, Mm -hmm. the book of lamentations, you know, I have, we had one guest who said he had lost his sister recently and he said, Mm -hmm. I'm spending a lot of times with lamentations, you know, so that, yeah, but at least you, you did the, you know, at the very least, you did the litany of trust, you know, so you were trying, it was sort of like, okay, here's, here's, <laughs> here's a little effort. Exactly. And that's, that was the spirit, you know, and I think, but I think that that tells us so something so important and so vital about the Lord is that it is so much more important to show up than to bring any kind of like finished package with you. And I think that if I could get everybody to understand something that would be what it is because so many people don't come to the Lord because of the idea of like, gosh, well, I just, there's all this stuff. I've done all these things, you know, there's all of this baggage. I'm going to let that disqualify us from even having the conversation, which all God wants is to just have the conversation. He is not um, inhibited by all of that other stuff that we kind of pile onto the situation. And of course, like that's what the devil loves. It's just like to disqualify us from the conversation with God, which obviously is never the case. Well, this has just been great, Jill. We so appreciate you joining us. We're excited that you're coming to give the retreat. So for people who are listening, who are either in Tulsa or at the Church of St. Mary, keep your eyes open. January 7th, if you're a woman, sorry, Mike, yep. um, you can you can come to your retreat. And um, for people, we will put in our show notes, for anybody yeah. who wants to contact you, because you did just come and give a retreat to the staff. I thought it was great, and I would really recommend 
anybody who's interested uh, contacting you. And, and you also have a lot of online opportunities where people can just take the retreat from home. So, uh, yes, we'll link all of that. Yep. Mike will take Absolutely. care of that. So we, mm-hmm. we ask all of our guests as we end and uh, wrap up our podcast, if the there was one thing that you could ask all of our listeners to pray for, what would that be? One prayer intention. I think I would definitely ask everyone to pray for an awareness of what the Holy Spirit is doing. I think that that is the kind of thing that really changes things because there's so many ways that we're empowered to be the hands of feet in Christ. There's so many opportunities that the Holy Spirit wants to highlight for us for him to really break into not only our lives, but the larger culture and just an awareness of what he's doing would blow us away so much that we would really have no choice, but to both act and enter into this deeper level of intimacy with him to really see and bless what he's doing. Amen. Well, Jill, would you lead us in a glory be? I would love to name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Jill. It's, it's been, been great. great. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you again in January. Yes. Absolutely. Glory Be is a production of the Office of Communications at the Church of St. Mary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm your producer, Mike Malcolm. See you next time.